the chair movers. It's great. Um, today, I want to talk a little bit about uh, shirts and buttons. There's a funny thing about shirts and buttons. Have you ever noticed that if you get the, the top one wrong, it's hard to get the rest of them right? In fact, does it kind of irritate you a little bit just watching this? The, look at this, the top one's wrong. It's just kind of, would somebody fix that, please? This is a biblical principle. This is what Jesus, what God teaches in the Ten Commandments. You ever think about that? God says in Exodus chapter 20, um, you shall have no other gods besides me. Um, I am the Lord your God. Do not have other gods besides me. What God says is put me first. No other gods besides me. No other gods before me. Everything else isn't guaranteed, but if you get the top one wrong, if you get the first one wrong, you're not going to get the rest of them right. But if you get the first one right, you put God first, then it's much easier for the rest to follow. Jesus made the same point in Matthew chapter 6, when he's talking about anxiety and fears that people have. Remember how he wraps that up? He says, put me first. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you as well. Today we're going to talk about life issues and we're going to talk specifically about issues with abortion, but it's not about abortion. I want you to know it's not even, it's certainly not about politics. It is all about what is number one in our life? What's it mean to seek first the kingdom of God? What's it mean to, we talk about living upper story, lower story. It is so easy to think about life issues or abortion issues in lower story perspective. But what happens if we think of things in an upper story perspective? Lower story is secular. Kind of life as, we, life as though there is no God. Upper story, we understand that God is always at work. That God is sovereign all of, over, over all of things. I don't care about politics. But what you need to understand is that culture and morals and politics always will flow downstream from religion. That's what the Ten Commandments teaches. That's what Jesus says in Matthew 6. No other gods besides me. Seek first the kingdom of God and all these things will be added to you as well. You get the God one wrong and your morals and your culture and your politics will follow. But you get the top one right and you start thinking about morals and life and even politics under the sovereignty of God. So that's what we're going to talk about. That's how I want us to think today. Not being conformed to the pattern of this world, lower story, but how can we be transformed by the renewing of our mind? To help us do this is a special guest, Catherine. Uh, should I leave this on the right button or the wrong button? It's kind of, yeah, it kind of drives, isn't it? Kind of, is it? It's like this obsessive compulsive part of me. They've got to get this right. Catherine um, Glenn Foster is a, uh, would you welcome Catherine for us, please? Uh, President and CEO of Americans United for Life, which means she is um, 
she spent a whole bunch of time in college. Um, but she, the Americans United for Life is, is what I would call the legal arm of the life movement. They are, they, they do the work for the, the, the right, the listening to people and the writing of, um, of legislation, the arguing before uh, the Supreme Court. In fact, this past week, if you want to Google a really interesting uh, dialogue, um, you could Google Catherine um, Glenn Foster House Judiciary Committee, where Catherine was in front of them this week, and just interesting series of of uh, interesting model, uh, dialogue there. So, but at any rate, so I'm, I've asked Catherine to be with us because she's a <coughs> follower of Jesus Christ. She is, not only understands the doctrine part of this, but is living it out as well and can help us in very practical ways. In fact, I want to begin by asking Catherine to share with us her personal story and how God has led her to where she is right now. So, welcome. Thank you. Um, it is such a pleasure and an honor to be here with you all this morning. Um, it, it's, a, it's an important time. And, um, and so I think we all need to ask ourselves how we got here, um, how we got here to this service, and, um, and how, we, how we arrive at, at our conclusions, uh, at the truth on life. Um, for me, I grew up in the church, but when I got to undergrad, I had kind of fallen away. Um, I was not living a Christian lifestyle. Um, told myself I wasn't that bad, but, um, but then you see what the fruits are. So when I was 19 years old, I found out that, that I was pregnant. Um, I was not expecting that. I came back from Christmas break. I went to the health center on campus. I thought I had the flu. I went to go get some medicine. And they said, just take a pregnancy test, you know, just check and make sure that you're not pregnant before we give you this medicine. And I thought, well, why would I, why would I do that? I, I'm 19 years old. I think I'm invincible. Um, I, no one had ever suggested to me that I could be pregnant. So um, I said, sure, okay, fine, but this is dumb. Um, and so I took the test and it came back positive. And I just, I was floored. You know, what do I do with this information? What do I do with this, um, with this news that could change the entire rest of my life? Um, and so... Um, I started crying, which um, is not the right reaction. Um, it's an understandable reaction. I was scared. Yeah. I was very scared, and I just, I couldn't believe this was happening to me. I'm an only child. My mom was a single mom. Um, I just mm. couldn't believe it, and, and so they said, do you have anyone you need to call? And you could see something in their eyes. I've always known there was something in their eyes mm. where they felt sorrow, they felt... I've, I've always just known that they wanted to say something but felt like they couldn't, mm. which um, I think is really, really one of the lessons for us, but um, that we should say that, say that thing. We should, oh, you know, yeah. help the woman, but, um, but they didn't. They didn't, you know, just put their arm around me and say, you know, you've got this, we're in this together, you know, trust in God, you know, trust, trust him. Small Christian college, so they could have said that. Um, but um, but they didn't. They just said, do you have anyone you need to call? And I was terrified of calling my mom. I couldn't imagine disappointing her. So I called uh, my college boyfriend, and he um, had no answers. So I turned to um, to the Internet. I, I asked Jeeves or whatever and, um, and said, you know, pregnant, what do I do? And 
Um, and nowadays, what would come up would be pregnancy centers, would be, you know, good resources um, for young men and women, but that's not what came up for me um, back in, in 2001. Um, what came up were abortion facilities. So I didn't really know what it was. I was very naive. I didn't know what an abortion facility was. I had never heard of a pregnancy center, but I made an appointment because it said, this is where you go when you're unexpectedly pregnant. So I made an appointment for that Saturday. And all week, I walked around campus in this oversized sweatshirt for my boyfriend, and, um, and I talked with her, um, and I named her. Um, but I went into that appointment, and from the moment I walked through those doors, uh, nothing was the same. It was Saturday morning, and I'm sitting in the waiting room. I'm surrounded by people on their, you know, fourth, fifth, sixth abortion, and, and it was scary, and they gave me a little pill to take in a cup, and I took it, and and just waited, and they wouldn't let him come back with me, so I was alone. They separate you from, from everyone, your support system. Um, and um, and they, they did the ultrasound, um, and you know, they've got to do that. That's part of the process, and it's there two feet from your face, but it's turned away from you because they don't want you to see that there's a little child moving. Um, and so I asked to see it because I hadn't made up my mind. I didn't know what to do. I needed information. I'm 19 years old. Um, but they said no, that they wouldn't turn it towards me. It was against policy, um, and they didn't let me see it. I've never been able to see that, that one photo of, of my first child. Mm. Um, they just said, no, go to the next room. And so I, I'm following along. I'm being dutiful. And then, um, and then something happened when I, when I was laying there on the table, and I just knew that this was wrong. I knew that I couldn't go through with it. I knew that I had to just get it together and call my mom and tell her and somehow it would be okay. You know, I wouldn't know how classes would go or food or where I would live or anything, but I knew that, um, that my mom was there for me, my grandparents were there for me, and I knew that God would take care of me. And I just, I felt this peace. And so, so you're yeah. in the middle of this place. Yeah. You change your mind. I changed my mind. You, you had clarity on what the right thing was to do. Exactly. Okay. I finally knew because I, I hadn't really known. I'm just, you yeah. know, following, you know, what do I do? I'm reaching yeah. out for answers. And so I tell them, just let me go. Um, but instead of doing that, they called for backup. They said, no, you can't. And they called for, you know, the team, their, their staff to come in. And they ended up... Um, holding me down with one person on each arm and one person on each leg and the doctor came in and a couple minutes later it was over um, I was trying to scream they were trying to they were like no you can't scream it'll scare all the other women you know just and just the the sound of being in that room was it was so traumatic um but it was over, and you know, and I was—I I just felt broken. You know, what do you do to move forward from that? And they just—they half carried me to the next room, the recovery room, and they gave me a little cookie and a little cup of juice, as if that was going to help. And and I just sat there and, and cried for—I don't even know how long. It—it it felt like hours. I don't know how long it was. I do know I was the last patient to leave the clinic alive that day um, because I could not imagine leaving that building where it was going to be the last, the last time, the last place I was ever with my child. I just, I couldn't do it. What, what do you know about yeah. your experience and um, if it's the, the exception or the norm with women 
who are going through abortions? Yeah, well, first of all, we know that most women who have abortions feel pressure or coercion from someone, um, whether it's their, their boyfriend, husband, partner, parents, siblings, friends, school, whatever. Um, so many, so many women feel pressure. You know, you don't make that choice because you think you have a choice. You make it because of financial issues or relationship issues or just being scared, um, you know, afraid of the future. You don't go into it thinking that that's, that that's you know, what you want. Um, but so many women I've talked to, so many women I've represented have had similar stories where where they were held down, where they were told they couldn't leave, where, you know, the facility locked the door, um, you know, all kinds of different ways to try to force the woman to stay and just complete that abortion. Mm. Um, yeah, it, it just, it, it heaps trauma upon trauma for these women. And, and um, again, upper story, lower story, the, if we're thinking biblically, we're, we're th Jesus says, I've come that you might have life and might have it to the full. Satan comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Satan is a liar. And so we should not be surprised when Satan lies to people to say, take the pragmatic approach. Mm -hmm. Do what's going to make your life easier in the short term or immediately, and what kind of feels like it, so you won't have to carry a burden, you know. And, and then he takes that, and he, so he lies. Mm -hmm. And then <laughs> so often Christians are called the unloving ones. If you're pro-life, you don't really love people. You don't really care about people. But the reality is Satan lies just like he did in the garden. Did God really say? And then he kills and destroys. You know, steals and destroys. And, but if we love, we're going to stand for what God stands for, even though in the short term it's difficult. So, sorry, continue. Yeah, um, and I think that's, that's really powerful about the deceit and about, um, mm -hmm. and about how we love people. We're the ones who want these children, who want these unique individuals created in the image of God. And want to, to love women, yes. too. This is yes. part of your message, I know. Yeah, absolutely. You know, because we know, I know personally firsthand, how abortion impacts women. Um, you know, there's, there's two basic directions you can go after an abortion. You can, um, you can harden your heart, and, and that's, it's hard not to do that, especially those, those first years afterwards. Um, it's very hard. Um, and that's how you see a lot of those, those people advocating for abortion out there who, mm. who seem so angry. It's because a lot of times they have some kind of experience. Mm. And they've hardened their heart. They're trying to tell themselves it was a good decision for them. It was the right decision for them. You know, just lying to themselves. And they're trying to spread that because the more people have abortions, the more it seems normal, the more it seems like their decision was right. Mm. Uh, or you can just, you can just almost break, you know, and, and give yourself over to the Lord and say, this was wrong and I'm so sorry. And, um, and then you confront all of the, all of the after effects, all the emotional, um, all the emotional impact that that's going to have on you, and we know that there's so much emotional impact, um, depression, and, and you name it, that can happen after an abortion. I don't think the people. Yeah. I mean, even I've read even mm -hmm. th there was a pro-choice woman who did a documentary mm -hmm. on the cover up of the the horrible impact that 
abortion has on women. Yes. Yeah. I mean, that, I, I've done research on this. I've written papers on this, you know, long scholarly law school type papers with hundreds of footnotes. Um, but but it's, it's clear. It's clear that the the, the act of um, the choice of abortion, it has so much impact on women, on our physical health, um, emotional, psychological, spiritual, of course. Um, it can impact your ability to have, you know, future children. You know, you tell yourself, well, of course I want a child at some point, um, but just not, just not right now. So not this child. Um, just ignoring the fact that this is a unique human being created, you know, in the image of God, this one child, and, um, and it's not like you can have some replacement. So I want to yeah. keep moving forward with your story, yeah. but let's say at this point, what do you wish, how do you wish your thinking had been impacted? If, if, if somebody could have come to you and said, um, this is what God, th- this is what the Bible says, this is the truth you should know, mm-hmm what would have been helpful for you to know at that point? But yeah. If I could just read a couple of the scriptures that Catherine's given us. The Gen- Genesis one twenty six, God at the creation says, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Every human being bears, this is unique to any other life, and human beings bear the very image of God and all that that means that we don't even understand mystically. Um, and then the Jeremiah passage as well. Jeremiah 1, um, 4. Do you have that? Uh, no. Okay. So go ahead and share. What yeah, doctrine um, do you have? That's my bad. Yeah. Um, almost anything, honestly, would have helped. Um, if the people in… Uh, I don't have my glasses on. Yeah. Oh, right there's there. Jeremiah. Yeah. There you go. You want to read it? Uh, no. Okay. I cannot. <laughs> <laughs> so this is what law school does to you. You can't see anymore. Literally, okay. I, I had the eye surgery beforehand, and then I looked at too many books, and now it's That's hopeless. hysterical. Yeah. Yeah. So the, the word of the Lord, and I thought my eyes were bad. The word of the Lord came to me saying, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born... I consecrated you. I appointed you a prophet to the nations. What's so profound about that to me is we can argue all we want about when does life begin in the, in the womb, and, and we know that scientifically, but spiritually, God knows. Mm-hmm. But God knows from eternity past when. So anyway, go ahead and exactly. share. What, what yeah. do you wish that you had understood <clears throat> biblically to help think right about this? Um, Really, anyone being there for me in any way would have made such a difference. Um, If I hadn't bought into the, you know, that secular idea of radical autonomy, that that would have made a difference. If I had reached out to my mom, and even just a month later, I I did tell her because I'm a mama's girl and I'm going to tell my mom, and and she knows me. I mean, mamas know our babies, right? And so she knew something was up. And, um, and so she was telling me about her good friend and her good friend's daughter was pregnant. And I, I made some comment, you know, I'm, I'm 19 years old. And so I said like, oh, that's, you know, a lot of people getting pregnant, huh? And she was like, Catherine, is there something you want to tell me? And so the whole, the whole story spilled out, you know, um, truth will always come to light. And, um, and I told her, and, and she was so sad 
But the thing she was saddest about, I think, was that I hadn't just trusted her enough to go to her mm. and and tell her and, you know, let her love me and hug me. Um, I should have trusted her more. And so she um, she did help. She gave me a little bit of tough love. She made me find a job that summer, which I needed. Um, I needed not just to wallow in my own grief but to really get out there and do something that would be helpful and she found me counseling at what turned out to be a pregnancy center didn't know that at the time um, I thought it was just a normal counseling center but um, but she found me that and I'm still in touch with the mm. wonderful woman who um, who counseled me through that actually um, you mentioned you know being set free earlier and um, and the study that we went through there's a lot of post-abortion studies out there it was called forgiven and set free mm. so um, so I went through all of that, but, you know, anything would have helped. You know, if there had been just a prayerful presence outside that abortion facility, that would have helped. If there had been someone holding a sign, we will adopt your baby, I don't know if I would have done that. Probably not, but at least knowing that there was some other option, that there was someone who cared about me or about my child or about my situation or anything, someone who would have said that, you know, that I could do it, that, that there would be some kind of way that, that there was an option instead of me just, you know, floundering on my own late at night trying to, you know, turn to the, the internet to find out what to do because that usually doesn't lead to good results. That, um, so let all that, let that sink in. What do you need? Not somebody who has all of the answers, not somebody who's a professional yeah. counselor, not somebody, you need somebody who's, who's godly, who will care for you and help you walk through really practical things that are not rocket science. You need to get a job. Yeah. You need to get, I needed a hug. Needed I, a hug. Just a hug would have, I mean, it, it reminds me, if I may, for 30 seconds, sure. I was sitting there in, um, in the hearing last Wednesday and you know, it, it's the normal kind of thing. You give your little opening statement, and they start questioning you, and the, the guys on your side, they're giving you, you know, questions to make sure that you can say what needs to be said, and the other side, they're trying to attack you, and sometimes they do a pretty good job of it, but, but one of the last um, representatives on the other side really just came at me hard and, um, and said, you know, it was your choice, you know, you decided to do this, and and what I wanted to say was, you know, you need better opposition research because that isn't how it really went down for me. You know, I, I ended up being forced into this. Um, but a, a friend of mine um, just happened to send me a text as I was sitting there. She, she had already finished, but he sent me this text and he said, I'm so sorry, you know, that was, um, mm. that was harsh, that was cruel. I watched her and I watched your reaction and I just felt so bad, you know, hugs from afar. Oh. And I saw that and just that little bit of outreach, that bit of caring, mm. I just, then I started crying, which I never imagined doing in the middle of Congress. <laughs> I'm like crying there at the witness table. Um, you know, it's that bit of love that can yeah. make all the difference, that can just break all those chains we have up around our heart. See, Jesus said, go and make disciples of all nations. And I know that sometimes when we think of discipleship, we think of discipleship plans and discipleship programs. But what you're describing, the biblical word is discipleship. Your mom mm -hmm. discipled you at yes. that point, said, follow me as I follow Christ. She was depending on what, what God give me wisdom on how to help my daughter mm -hmm. and God gave her wisdom. And so that's why we say there's somebody that you need to disciple this week that unless, if you don't disciple them, nobody's going to. Yeah. You know, there's, there's, 
probably some young lady in your lifetime who's going to be in Catherine's situation that God is going to give you the opportunity to disciple. And so we want to be ready for that. Okay, so continue in your experience. How did God redeem that for you? Yeah, um, really things turned around for me um, when I was going through that counseling program. It just, um, I I found Jesus, you know. I I knew that, um, that I needed to change and that, um, that I was loved, and that there were people out there who would love me and support me and, um, and really just be the light of, of God in my life. And um, so it took me a few years to really um, find my way forward in terms of where I was supposed to go. I had a whole different career doing international peacekeeping stuff, and then, um, and then I was home with, um, with my now 15-year-old, she was about six months old at the time. I just started to, to hear this, this quiet voice in my heart, this calling um, that I needed to do something um, about this to, to redeem my, my choice and my decision to walk through those doors. And so um, in my case, it was just this sense that I needed to go take the law school entrance exam and go to law school. And I had no idea why. Um, until I got there, and it was during orientation week, and there's different orientation activities. There's, like, go to the National Arboretum and, like, clean vines off of trees. I did that one. It was very fun. Um, but there was one on health care law. And so I'm thinking this is going to be, like, bioterrorism. I had been into a TV show called 24. I thought it would be very cool. Um, and so I'm in the front row. I'm thinking, okay, I'm waiting to hear about the bioterrorism. I'm hearing nothing about that. It's, like, insurance. It was, like, it was so boring. Um, and I got the clearest call of my entire life where I just, I heard, I knew that I was there to protect women like me and to protect the children in our wombs. Um, and so I didn't know how to do that. I did not know that there was a pro-life movement. I, um, I knew that my best friend in sixth and seventh grade had been pro-life, didn't know what that meant. Um, and so it was actually a couple weeks later at, um, at the like, student org tabling event that I was walking past a table and it said, you know, Alliance for Life. And I said, what? There's people like me who don't like abortion? This is, this is amazing. And they said, yeah, there's a lot of us. There's whole organizations. And they introduced me to some organizations. And, um, and I really never looked back. You know, ever since then, everything I've done has been to help to help women and to save lives. So if we could put the John 3.17 there, what I want to hear, you remember John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shouldn't perish but have everlasting life. The redemption story is that no matter who we are, no matter what we've done, God's grace is greater. And so God sent his son Jesus so our sins could be forgiven. And so I sit up here today Catherine sits up here today. If the Apostle Paul, who called himself the worst of sinners, would sit up here today, not as one that God looks at and sees us in our sin, but because of Jesus, he sees us in, he says, is washed and in Jesus' righteousness. So Jesus redeems us when we come to him, when we say the truth about, yeah, we have sinned, and it is ugly. It's so ugly it sent Jesus to the, to the cross. But John 3, 17 then says, God didn't send his son to the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Redemption is not just, what I want you to hear in Catherine's story, redemption is not just that God will forgive your sin and wash you and make you clean. Um, 
you heard Catherine say, I wanted to redeem my past, but the truth is, God redeemed her past by giving her new purpose out of what Satan intended for evil. And that's the hope that we all need to hear. That stuff that you, that where Satan has defeated you, God wants us to completely deal with redemptively and to be honest about it and not minimize it, but to say, I need your forgiveness now. Jesus, I thank you that you have not left me, but what's your purpose? What do you want to do with my life? I want to walk with you. And he makes all things new. You know, it's just a great story of redemption. And, and Catherine's story, you probably aren't going to become a lawyer. I hope you won't become a lawyer. You probably, no, I, I, we need two or three in the world. Yeah, the, it's that whole not enough sand joke. It's one yeah. of my favorite stories. No jokes, but the, um, uh, but God will redeem all of, all of us in his way as he's made you to be. Okay, go ahead. And, and so that, that's, I think, the real self-actualization. You know, we're always hearing in the world, you know, yes. you know, what's your authentic self, whatever. This is our authentic selves. When we really confront our failures, when we confront our past, whatever's happened to us or whatever we've done, we're honest about it. We're transparent with whoever we need to be. Um, and then, you know, we move forward with that in God's grace. There's a, a line I like a lot, you can't amputate your history from your destiny. And I think that's, um, that's really powerful for us because we need to, to, to be honest about where we've been. We need to just, you know, confess to God, and, um, and he, can, he can redeem that. Um, and in my case, um, and I was sharing this with you during the, the break between services, um, that I just, something that was really heavy on my heart was the idea of, of God having been the creator of that life that I had carried um, for those few weeks, and the purpose that he had intended for that life and all the impact that that child would have had in the world, you know, could have been any one of us, right? You know, and all the impact that each of us has. You know, you think about, you know, it's a wonderful life and everything that changes mm. if we're not there. And so it just, I can't make the same impact that was intended for that life. It, I, who could know? It's impossible. But, um, but I can try to have, I, I can make some impact. I can still have that child impact the world and make a difference. And so that's, um, that's part of what I try to do. And so please don't justify sin saying, it doesn't matter what I do because God's going to redeem it and make all things well. Yeah. yeah, he will, but it's better to follow his paths, and his righteous paths in the first place. Having said that, um, other than, uh, there's no one righteous, not even one, except Pat Ferguson. Those of you who know Pat, you know that's true. But other than Pat, the rest of us fail. And your story, I'm sitting here listening to you thinking, that's the story of Moses. That's the story of David. That's the story of Peter. That's the story of Paul. You cannot separate, I love that line, you cannot amputate Peter's past from what God did. You cannot amputate Paul being a killer of Christians to Paul being a leader in the church. Right. And that, mm -hmm. it doesn't justify. I mean, Paul sure wishes he hadn't done what he did, but, yeah. but God is greater. God is mm -hmm. greater. And you need to hear today, no matter where you are, 
God is greater than that past that you feel like is a mountain you can never overcome, a mountain that you're carrying on your back that you can never release. He's greater. Um, would, where would you like to go from here? I have some questions that I would ask specifically, but is there yeah. anything that you would like to say that I, before we move Jump forward? Jump on in. Okay. Yeah. Um, let's, get real pr- let's get real practical on, um, on questions that are asked us that we need to be prepared for. For instance, one of the things we hear out there all the time is, my body, my choice. How is, how would, if we're thinking biblically, I'm not saying we're going to be able to persuade people. I think there's this, I think God has given a spirit of, of stupor to many people in our generation. So it doesn't matter how logical or how scientific or whatever, they're not going to listen. But so that we understand at least, how do we think when we hear my body, my choice? Well, first of all, we have to be crystal clear about the truth that your child's body is not your body. We're talking about two different bodies there. And actually that same hearing, uh, one of the representatives on, um, on the pro-life side really hit home on that. Um, you know, saying, you know, does the abortion happen to your body? No. Um, it, it's not your body. It, it's very clear in every embryology textbook out there that life is created at the moment of fertilization. That's very, very clear. Um, and it's clear in the Bible. You know, when we, when we look at God's word, we see that, you know, before he formed us in our mother's womb, he knew us, that we're a separate individual, a separate entity, separate DNA, separate fingers, toes, you know, you name it. It's a separate body. Um, and if we are... Um, engaging in sex or, you know, if we're pregnant or, you know, if we're hoping we don't get pregnant, you know, whatever. If we're engaging in any of those behaviors, then we need to recognize that there's either a life or there may be one very soon. And so we need to be ready for that and be ready to be hospitable to that and to be welcoming and to say, okay, you know, this is, this is what you have for me, Lord. Um, you know, not all of our, um, uh, of, uh, not all Americans would necessarily be ready for quite that step, but at the very least, we can point them to the scientific truth. This is a separate human being, and um, and you know we need to be ready for that. Yep. Um, yeah. s- next question that people ask sometimes mm-hmm. is, um, I just lost it. Let me go to my notes. Uh, oh, I heard it this week. It was. Uh, there was a bit of a snarky um, a congressman who is belittling you because you don't believe in an exception for rape, for rape and incest. I'm sorry, but I just, I started to laugh when I thought, oh, she's a lawyer and she's a fighter. That's great. And your response to him was? My response was, if we added in rape and incest exceptions, would you vote for it? Yeah, it's a it's yeah. a bogus argument that he's yeah, making for himself. Yeah, of course he's not going to. You but, know. but but why don't you believe in exceptions for rape and incest? I mean, don't you care about the mother? Yeah, um, absolutely, I care about the mother. Um, far too many of us have been there. But um, you know, despite the fact that rape and incest are absolutely abominable tragedies, um, and we can't shy away from that. Um, but it, it, the, and to then get an abortion, it just, it heaps injustice upon injustice, tragedy upon tragedy, violence upon violence. 
Um, it would be the one instance where we punish the child for the sins of the father in our criminal justice system. Um, it's simply wrong. You know, I, I welcome the conversation about rape and incest exceptions and rape and incest generally because um, when we talk about that, then we can really address all of these violences, all of these injustices, and we can really, um, we can really fight um, for healing. Uh, we can fight for um, a, a real option, even for those those women who are in that terrible, terrible situation. And um, and we need to flip the script when it comes to this kind of tragedy and turn our gaze upwards towards God and towards hope um, and towards healing, and not just um, and not just looking towards violence as the answer. It's never the answer. Um, it's upper story, lower story thing. If we're thinking upper story human life is made in God's image, then the, that human life is made in God's image. Or it's, and if it's made in God's image, mm -hmm. then, it needs, then it must be honored because God is sovereign over life. Yeah. Um, A lot of birth circumstances aren't ideal. That's right. Yeah. Um, and so, so that's really the, that's why I said this is not a political issue. It is a who's sovereign over life. Am I sovereign or is God sovereign? Yeah. And so if, we're, if God is sovereign over life and we admit and we, and we realize that life, and I, I love the fact somebody has pointed out that the uterus is not necessary for the life of the mother. The uterus is necessary for the life of the baby. Yeah. God gave, God made the uterus for the baby. And therefore, when that life is made in that uterus, it's to be honored because of God. Now, if people, here's the thing. If people are living in the lower story, if they have taken a my truth is my truth secular approach to life, we can't expect them to be changed unless they're redeemed, unless mm -hmm. they have God's mind. But for us as Christians, we need to be thinking. Next yeah. question. Um, there's so much pain and suffering in this world. How can you, do you, uh, if you really cared about life, you would care about more than just pro-life, more than just about abortion. Um, well, we do, uh, first of all. See, isn't that something, though? Yeah. People assume, I mean, that, that yeah. we don't. It's like, yeah. go ahead. Um, so, you know, even in Americans United for Life, there's a lot of great organizations out there and their sole focus is abortion, and that's, um, that's wonderful. You know, not every organization can tackle every injustice. We were talking about this earlier. You don't expect the American Heart Association to go and deal with, you know, with, with cancer. So, you know, it, it, it doesn't make sense. You, you tackle what you're called to. Um, you know, we're all parts of the body of Christ, and we all have different roles, different callings. Um, but, you know, we, we actually are, are full spectrum. We handle any threat to life, fertilization to natural death. So... Um, so we actually do, and we aren't just, as they say, pro-birth. Um, that's true for the entire pro-life movement. Um, we, we have pregnancy centers out there. I, I'm on the board of one. I chaired it for about a decade until I just started traveling too much. But 3,000-plus pregnancy centers in communities throughout our nation offering things like diapers and cribs and baby clothing and rent assistance and, and food and, um, and training and, and baby formula and, you know, you name it. And they're offering those kinds of things. They're, you know, nonprofit, staffed by volunteers. And you go and ask Planned Parenthood, you know, what do you provide of that? 
do you provide any of that? Do you provide baby clothes or baby formula? Or, you know, how are you addressing the baby formula crisis? And, um, and you'll find out that they don't. They don't do any of that. As in my case, it's just pushing women towards the radical autonomy perspective, the secular perspective, the go do what you want, just use protection. And then when that fails, um, then just come right back to us and we'll take care of the problem for you. And then just leaving women over and over back in the same bad situation that they were in to begin with. Yeah. Um, that's, that's a problem. That's a failure of our nation's women, our nation's families. And so we're the ones who are standing alongside women and helping them to, um, to better themselves and to, to get to know Jesus. Now, I want to close by asking you just you know, kind of the very practical question. Things are changing rapidly around us today. What, would you, what wisdom would you give us to share um, to prepare us for how things are going to change. One thing I want to say is, though, um, we can make the whole world pro-life, but if they're not saved, if they don't know mm-hmm. Christ, if they're not surrendered to God, then they're still lost. Um, and what really matters in all of this is for us to lead people to Christ mm-hmm. and then to lead people to think think as Christ would think and to walk as Christ would walk. So my advocacy, I don't preach about abortion a lot. I don't preach about, I, you know, do sermons. On what I, why? Because I've known people who were once pro-choice, who once they came to Christ, their whole attitude, their whole, what they believed about Mm-hmm. life and abortion changed. So now, oh, go ahead. We're, uh, just briefly, yeah, yeah um, it, it's really interesting how the truth and the Lord, you know, it makes sense. God That's is right. truth. Um, but, you know, I see people come to Christ and then they come to being pro-life and I see the, the reverse as well. I've seen right. so many pro-life people suddenly realize, hang on, um, it's those Christians who've been right on this all along and they come to the Lord through being pro-life and just you know, advocating for the most innocent, vulnerable among us. I'm going to share, I probably shouldn't share this, but it's a true principle and prove me wrong. Progressives always have to progress and the progress is always away from God. Yeah. It is always toward the lower story. Yeah. That is the history of, of the world. Mm-hmm. So I'm sure I'm making myself popular with lots of people with that line. But um, the, anyway, so how would you help us? As things are changing, road stuff has, may change things. Give us wisdom on moving forward as followers of Christ. That is a big question for, it looks like, negative two minutes. Um, <laughs> um, we had a, a preacher and a lawyer up here. We, right. we can go for hours. Watch yeah. out. Um, I, I actually wanted to be a lawyer before I was preaching. Oh, really? So, okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Postpone your lunch plans. Okay. So um, we're at an inflection point in American history. We're at an inflection point on life. Um, there is a better than good chance that Roe may be finally reversed. That is a good thing. Um, Roe stripped away all 50 states' laws because every state in the entire country had a law on abortion in 73. None of them went as far as Roe and stripped them all away. So um, if Roe is overturned, then what happens? Unfortunately, there is still abortion in America, but the issue returns to the states, and we can finally start protecting life in those states that are willing to. We can start working on hearts and minds um, greater than ever before. 
So it's not like it's a total ban right away. It just allows us to, um, to do our work more effectively and to really protect life instead of having it be these, you know, seven unelected men on the court who, um, who stripped away all the protections for our nation's uh, women and men and families. So, um, so that's where we are. It could happen as soon as tomorrow, more likely later in June, but don't quote me on that if it turns out to be tomorrow. Um, and I hope it does happen because finally it would give us, it would give us a chance. Um, it would give us a chance for life. Um, but in the meantime, we need to and have been building an America that supports thriving families. Um, thriving, whole, unified families. That's what we need to be working towards. Um, helping the women and the men um, with questions, the women and the men uh, and the men in need who are scared, who, um, who maybe don't know where their next meal is coming from, who don't know how they're going to make rent next month, um, who just need the training or the job who need help with their relationship, whatever it may be. Um, we need to build towards that, towards you know, serving those in our communities, and we need to build that future of, of life and of hope and of love and of, um, and of serving others, um, of you know, providing um, options and, and true holistic life-affirming choices for women who, um, who don't know where else to turn. And when we just when we sit there next to a woman and we hear her story, maybe we share our own, and, um, and we listen to her and we make her feel um, valued and loved in Christ, that is what can make a difference for a woman who is who's struggling with a very difficult time. And that's how we can really um, change her life and change the entire future of her family and change our nation. So it's a very practical application of how, what does it look like for us to be disciples who make disciples in this generation and with the dynamics going on today? By the way, let me make it really clear. I really care about the upper story. Um, there are, I, this is not about Republican or Democrat. There are lots of secular thinking lower story Republicans. And so I do not, I don't want to be associated with either political party because of how secular their thinking and reasoning yeah. is. But Governor Casey in, in Pennsylvania, my hometown, I would have voted for him every time he was, he was yeah. up because of what he believed about these issues. And so, at any rate, so it's not a, polit it's not a political thing. It's not a, it's not a, a, a party thing. It is a, what is, how do I honor the sovereignty of God? And then how can I make disciples? who make disciples, who make a difference. Thank you so much for sharing with us. I, I would like for us to close this part in prayer before we move into our time of communion um, and ask you, well, a couple of things. We're gonna have people here, we have people here right now who are ready to talk to anybody who may have, maybe facing these decisions, helping somebody who's facing these decisions. You've gone through a a, a crisis, you've had an abortion, you, you'd like to counsel with people. We have men who have had that experience with in, in their past before they were Christians, and, 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 and we, we, there's also a crisis pregnancy center here um, that has a table out front. We want to help in practical ways in every way we can today, but I also want to ask you to pray for Catherine and the work that she's doing. Pray for her specifically um, she is receiving, because of her testimony um, last week, she's receiving death threats. Her children are receiving death threats. 
we shouldn't be surprised. At any rate, um, it's a very sad thing. And so let's, um, let's pray for Catherine and her protection and God's work. Heavenly Father, be honored. Heavenly Father, we want to praise you right now because you are God. God, I thank you for, for Brittany and for her prayers and her encouragement with us earlier today. I thank you for the worship. I just wanted to keep worshiping, Lord, because you are worthy of worship and you're in this place and you're so good to us. I thank you for the grace that we find through Jesus Christ. I thank you that though our sins be as scarlet because of Christ, we can really be white as snow, that we don't have to walk through this world feeling dirty and guilty and shamed. We don't have to walk through this world and hide. But there really are people, because Christ has loved us, because we have, are washed in Christ, there really are people who understand grace and are willing to see us as we really are and to love us because of Jesus Christ. Help us to be that kind of people. If there's anyone in this place who has yet to surrender to Jesus and to find forgiveness and redemption, may this be the day that they turn their lives over to Christ. If there's somebody who's hurting today that just needs a friend, Lord, we want to be their friends. Lord, in our neighborhoods, as we leave from this place, there are people who need friends. Somebody to come alongside, even though they don't have all the answers, but they have you as their good shepherd leading them, and they can just walk with them and be, and be a hug, be a friend. And so now we also pray for Catherine and her work, Catherine and her ministry, Catherine and her children. Um, would you give them protection? A band of angels protecting them in every way. I know that spiritual attacks are going to happen right now as well because Satan's always at work. So Lord, give us the victory that Jesus Christ might be seen as victorious. It's through Christ we pray. Amen. Amen.